Father, thank you so much for Neil and just for his faithfulness, Lord. I pray that that which he has prepared to share with us tonight, that our eyes and our ears would be open to see and hear what it is you are wanting to say to us. Pray that you'd be with him, Lord, that his words would be um, just the words that you want him to say and that he'd enjoy himself while he's, he's sharing the word with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Over to you, Neil. Thank you, Letitia. Good evening, everybody. Thank you for being here. I'm aware that there are other things on, like cricket. I don't know the score. Don't tell me. I don't know if I want to know. Um, but thank you for being here tonight, and we trust that as we share. Uh, as Letitia mentioned, we're starting a series tonight around being, uh, continuing in our Be Ready for God's Glory on display theme. But we're going to start talking about being ready for more, with a particular focus on various aspects of stewardship. So part of my goal tonight, what I need to uh, do, is just lay a bit of a foundation around understanding stewardship. And I remember the first time uh, I heard this concept, I was quite young at that stage, but it came this idea of stewardship, and I'll explain what it is hopefully quite well as the evening goes, but this idea came to me when my heart was quite open to God, and so I was at this fortunate place where it's kind of like this teaching about it, this word came and it went straight into my heart. And it settled for me that actually everything belongs to God. My whole life, every part of my life, everything I had, have, or will ever have is part of what God has given me or entrusted to me. But I've also found, as I've served God now for a number of years, that to know a concept and to live a concept is not always the same thing. And as we start trying to live out these ideas that everything belongs to God and that everything I have is trusted me with or entrusted to me, the longer I live, the more deep I realize that needs to go. Because I think there's something in each of us that just wants to hold on a little bit to what we've got. I remember the first time I got a paycheck. Um, it wasn't much at all, but I got one. Uh, and it wasn't at the church, so don't worry. Um, but I got this paycheck and suddenly I thought, because you've never had it, so suddenly you have it and you go, wow, all of this, what can I do with it? And then that little voice goes, but remember, actually, it's all God's. So the question you should be asking is, well, God, what should I do with your money that you've given me now? And part of that's paying the bills and, and different things and tithing and things that we'll discuss as we go through this place. But there's this tension in our lives between what do we control and how much do we control it? Do we hold things like they belong to us and still be responsible for them when actually they belong to God? So everything's God's. But the things that are given to me, I have to be responsible for. So how do I hold those things well in a way that I can live a good life, a fulfilled life, but also live a life that is really honoring and pleasing God? So this tension of treating something like it's your own. Now, I know different people are different ways, but at a stage before I was married, when you're single and people know you they, and they go away, they often... Uh, let you do house sitting. Anybody here ever done house sitting? Okay. Now, I'm a great house sitter. I will never do it again in my life if I can help it. But I'm a great house sitter because when I'm in somebody else's house, I go completely paranoid. I treat it better than it would be my own stuff. You know, I make a coffee cup and I'm like, careful. And because I, I would hate to explain to somebody else that I've messed up their stuff or that something got stolen. I remember I was house sitting and for some people once, and their dogs got ill, but I didn't know what to do, so I took the dogs to the vet thinking these dogs were about to die. They were like, the vet looked at me like as this idiot and go, no, no, it's just this minor little thing and fix them up quickly. 
but I was completely paranoid about it. And so how do we hold this in a space where things that aren't ours, to treat them as our own and be responsible with them, but not be paranoid or um, overcome by those things in those spaces? So I wonder how you're doing with holding things that don't belong to you, but treating them like, don't actually belong to you, but treating them like they're your own. So what do we mean, and let me try and give a broad strokes definition of stewardship. What do we mean when we talk about stewardship? And so for the way we want to just understand it in this series is that stewardship is the careful and responsible management or care of something that has been entrusted to you. Okay, It's the careful and responsible management of something that has been trusted into your care. So by the way, God trusts you. He's given you your life. He's given you responsibility for yourself. And on that level, he trusts you enough. To st- that's where the trust starts. Uh, Letitia read the scripture when the service starts, and so I'll just mention it briefly. But one of the clearest scriptures that explains this, the foundation behind stewardship for us is found in Psalm 24 and verse 1. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. Everything belongs to God. Now this seems rather obvious, because after all, he created it, he made it, therefore it's actually his. He's the source of being, he's the source of origin of all these things. And so everything, in fact, belongs to him. I think that's one of the tragedies when we move away from this idea that God is a creator. We start thinking that things actually originate with us, and it's our good ideas and our spaces, and we don't always understand that it belongs to us. To God. The nice thing about this verse is that God believes it. God knows it. And God, when God walks into our lives, walks into any situation, He knows He's in charge. He's not confused about this. Everything belongs to Him, and He knows it. I think part of our life's journeys is to discover that it's actually His and not ours, and things are part, uh, part of His plan more than they are actually part of our plan. And so just to lay a little bit of a foundation for us as we explore this topic, we want to look a little bit tonight at the life of Joseph. And so we find the story of Joseph in Genesis, from Genesis chapter 39 to Genesis chapter 50, and we're going to read it verse by verse. I hope you're ready. No. Um, It's interesting as I was preparing, if you, those of you have heard me preach before, I like to get into the text and things like that, and I really felt the Lord wanted me not to do that. I've got one verse that we're really going to get into, not really get into, but one verse that we're going to read at the end. Otherwise, I'm just going to give you references so that you know where to go and read it for yourselves. How's that? Reading the Bible for yourself. Imagine doing that. Okay, it's this novel idea. Um, but we want to look at the life of Joseph, and it's, it's actually one of the meta-narratives. It's a big story uh, in Genesis. And what we see in this story, as we see in all Bible stories, is the, the, act, the main actor in the story is actually God, not Joseph. God's got this plan. God's doing something in the world. He wants to set something in motion that will have impact for generations to come, but he's got to start somewhere with someone. How's that sound? Maybe God wants to start somewhere with you to change something. So God's got a plan. God's the hero of this story in the Bible and so I'm going to just kind of step through it in big strokes because I think, has everyone kind of heard of Joseph? You've got a feel for the story? Okay, you didn't grow up in the UK like Seth and you're just clueless. Um, but Dimpo's been helping him and he's growing. And, um, 
story starts with the youngest of brothers in a big family, number 12 of 12 brothers. Um, you know, so I think it must have been difficult because it means his older brothers were really grown men and much older than him. But he grows up and God's got this plan. And to start this plan, God gives Joseph dreams, basically that he's going to become a ruler. Um, I'm not going to get into too much detail on the dreams, but the one dream he sees his whole family bowing down to him. Uh, actually, he has two dreams where he sees his whole family bowing down, bowing down to him. And so he understands from these dreams that God wants him to become a ruler. But you see, he still thinks it's about him. He thinks the dreams belong to him. He thinks it's about him. So he does this very unwise thing when he's the youngest son. He tells his family, you're all going to bow down to me. That never goes down well, by the way. If you're a single child, just learn from Joseph. Okay. And so he has these dreams, and his brothers actually become jealous of him. Now, for some reason, because he was the youngest son, his father also favored him. So already on top of him being like daddy's boy and the favorite in the family, he starts telling everyone, I'm the man, and you will bow to me. Um, and so his brothers come jealous for him, and I think you know the story. They fake his death, and they sell him into slavery. It's a great thing for brothers to do. Um, I have a younger brother. I never thought of doing that to him. <coughs> it's one of my great qualities. Okay. And so his brothers sell him into slavery. He goes into slavery. In other words, he goes from being someone belonging in a family, having a place with great dreams and probably some ambition now. And I mean, it's God that gave him the dreams. You must understand. And he goes from there to nothing. He goes from there to slavery. In fact, the mercy was his brothers actually wanted to kill him. But his oldest brother said, no, let's just rather sell him. Okay, um, which is strange if that's the voice of reason in a conversation. <clears throat> As he sold into slavery, we read in the story in Genesis that he ends up in a man named Potiphar's household. Potiphar was obviously a man of some means and status and probably had some estates and things that he's managed. And in Potiphar's household, he goes, Joseph goes from there to nothing, but he finds himself being careful and responsible. Let's use the words from our definition. He finds himself being careful and responsible with everything that he gets told to do. And the more Potiphar gives him to do, Joseph is careful and responsible, and God starts giving him favor. It's not just that Joseph's careful and responsible, it's that God starts blessing it. And after a while, Potiphar, being a clever man, figures this out. He says, anything I give to Joseph is going to be blessed. It's going to work. And so Joseph's careful and responsible, and God is working with him, and God is blessing him. It's, it's a partnership, not a partnership of equals because this is God, but Joseph is being careful and responsible. He's being faithful in everything that he gets given to do. He's a young foreigner. Probably at this stage in his life, he's probably a young teenager. Imagine a 12 or 13 year old boy as a refugee in another country. And now he's working, but God's favoring. And so it ends up that Potiphar gives him charge of everything. He's entrusted with everything. There's nothing in the house that Potiphar worries about. Um, Joseph looks after it. But uh, Potiphar's wife gets her eyes on Joseph. Now, there's a verse in Genesis, sorry, I, I didn't take note of the reference, but it says Joseph was of good form and handsome. Now, you know, the inspired word of God says you have good form and handsome. He must have been a catch. Okay? Well, a catch enough to catch Potiphar's wife's eye. And so she kind of makes a few passes at him. Um, we don't know her age, by the way, but she makes a few passes at him. But he's clear enough that Potiphar's trusted me with this, but not his wife. He has a clear boundary. He has this clear understanding of God. So even in a situation where it probably would have been greatly to his advantage to pursue this relationship, he doesn't because he's conscious of 
God. But a woman spurned is never a good thing. And so she makes up a story and she gets him into a lot of trouble. Now, there's different views on this. But it's interesting that for doing this, most men would kill another guy if they thought he made a move on their wife. Okay? Just didn't want to say names or anything. But Potiphar doesn't do this. Potiphar sends him to prison. But he doesn't send him to the supermax. He sends him to probably a reasonably fair kind of prison. I don't think any prison in Egypt, uh, however many years BC, was very good. But we know later that the king's officials, the, the cupbearer and the baker, get sent there. So this is kind of the medium light version. It's a place where the good, the good prisoners go. Okay. So, so Potiphar probably guesses a little bit of what's going on, and he sends Joseph there. But it's like Joseph is going from there to there, and then he goes, from, goes down one. I once chatted with a young man, and he was talking about how his life had descended into a really dark and dangerous place. He got caught up in drugs and all kinds of things. But, but he told me this. He says, you know, every time I end up associating with the worst group, but he said, but I'm always the nicest guy in the group. <laughs> okay. And it's a bit like this with Joseph. He descends and he descends, but he always emerges to be the leader or the best person in the group. And so in prison, he starts there, a young foreigner in an Egyptian prison, and he's careful and considerate with whatever responsibilities. And the jailers take note of him, and eventually they start trusting him. He's being a good steward of what's given into his care. But remember, this is part of God's plan. And so he's in prison, we don't know for how long, but for more than five days. Okay, he's in prison for a while, and the... Prisoners trust him, he gets probably a little bit of freedom. And two of Pharaoh's chief officials end up there, the baker and the cupbearer. Now they were, it sounds like, you know, they were chefs. But the cupbearer is the one who tasted everything the king drank and made sure he didn't get poisoned. And the baker had to bake what the king ate to make sure he didn't get poisoned. So they'd done something wrong that upset Pharaoh, so he sent them to prison. And while they're in prison, this interesting thing happens. Because remember, this is still God's plan. It's still God who's acting here. Joseph's going from having these dreams to actually locked up, confined, and even in the bad situation, he's doing the best he can and he's still being a faithful steward. And then God gives the cupbearer and the baker dreams. Basically, dreams saying something's going to happen soon in their lives. And Joseph then, everyone in prison kind of knows Joseph's the dream guy. It's interesting, he hasn't lost his reputation somehow. But it's interesting, when he first tells his brothers about the dreams, it's all about him and what, you know, you will bow down to me. At this stage, when the cupbearer and the baker tell him their dreams, he just says, I know nothing, but there's a God in heaven. You see, something's changed in Joseph. He's realized that even this, his ability to interpret dreams, which was so important in his life, it's actually not about him, it's about God. Right in prison there, he's realized that actually this is about what God is doing and God's story, and he's going to tell the dreams, and I'm just going to be faithful. And so uh, the cupbearer tells him his dream, and he says, good news for you. The king's going to release you in three days, and you're going to get your old job back. Good dream. The baker's had a very similar dream in all its elements, different kind of pictures and images, but it sounds the same. So he thinks, this is cool. Let me tell Joseph my dream. Joseph says, I'm sorry for you. The king's going to die. Okay. So it's quite interesting. He doesn't. He has a, a good He's so conscious now of stewarding what God gives him that he gets this interpretation and he gives the honest interpretation. Even if it meant he had to tell someone, I'm sorry, this is really bad news. You've got three days. Um, and, the, and it happens like that. 
And then it's interesting in the story, Joseph tells him, just remember me. So he's still got this hope that there's something bigger in his life that God wants to do. But they forget him. Time goes by and Pharaoh has a dream. Because who gave Pharaoh the dream? God. God's got a plan. It's God's story. God's doing this thing. And he he hasn't forgotten Joseph. And he gives Pharaoh this dream and no one can understand this dream. Now, you must understand Pharaoh was basically viewed as a god in the Egyptian society. He was the mediator and the, the epitome of the gods on earth. And he gets a dream, and it's very embarrassing for him that he doesn't understand his own dream. And then when he asks all his wise men, they don't understand the dream, so he's getting nasty now. And suddenly there, the cupbearer remembers this guy. I wonder why he would even have forgotten him. And the cupbearer remembers there was this guy in prison who, Pharaoh, he could interpret anything. Remember, the cupbearer is there. He's got the king's ear. Because God will take you from prison to the palace, let's use preacher language, just like this, if he wants to. But Joseph has been years in this process of realizing it's actually about God and not about himself. But I want you to also see in this process, he's always been faithful, careful and, 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 um, careful and responsible for what he's been entrusted with. And Pharaoh then tells Joseph his dreams. It's basically about there'll be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And Joseph gets it and he interprets the dream. But again, when Pharaoh says to him, tell me what my dream says, he says, I can't do it, but there's a God in heaven who can interpret the dreams. He's really learned his lesson. Because if you've just come out of prison and you're with the most powerful man in the region, you kind of want to make a bit of a case for yourself. You want to make a space. But he says, it's not about me. It's about God. In other words, I'm not all that important. You can send me back to prison. Well, this is probably a real option for Pharaoh. But Pharaoh sees that God is in him. He sees that this man carries the spirit of the gods. Okay, he sees that God's at work in Joseph's life. And going from prison to the palace, where he can interpret dreams and, and give honor to God in that space, Pharaoh says, basically, who else can we put in charge? Who's got the wisdom of God that can actually help the, the, the country and, and by implication the surrounding nations prepare for seven years of famine? And he appoints Joseph. Now, best we can tell, Joseph gets appointed in charge of Egypt only under Pharaoh, second only to Pharaoh, like he was to Potiphar, but just the scale is magnified because he was faithful there, and now God can do more in him and through him. And within a day, he becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt, and he implements this plan, which not only saves the Egyptian nation, but it saves his family because his brothers come, and they have to buy food, and then he brings his whole family, probably about 40 to 70 people, and he brings them into the nation. And the line that Jesus would come through, the Messiah, that line is preserved in this famine. God had a plan. God knew Jesus was coming, but he knew he needed to feed the people so that they could survive, and he used Joseph. So Joseph is careful and responsible, and God blesses him. It's very clear in the story that Joseph learned from Potiphar that he knew who the owner was and who, can I use the word steward or manager was? God is the owner of everything. But in, in Egypt, Pharaoh is the owner and Joseph is the manager. And this is true in our lives. If we pick up from Psalm 24 verse 1, Every, the earth is the Lord, is the Lord's, everything in it, the world and all who dwell in it. Everything really is God's. He is the owner. We are the stewards. 
or the caretakers or the managers of whatever he chooses to trust us with. And our danger is that we should never get confused in that role. I want to skip, uh, we could speak a little bit about the, the parable of the talents. Uh, in Matthew 25, I'll just give it just overview in this sense. Matthew 25, it's a very interesting story. The parable of the talents is there. The parable that before it is the parable of the ten virgins, where the point of the parable is be ready because you don't know when the master is coming. That's the point. The parable after it is the parable of the sheep and the goats, where it says that, um, you know that story where Jesus, where, where Jesus says, come with me, my good and faithful servant. They said, but where did I serve? You know, when you gave water to the least of these and when you took care of those in need by serving them, you were serving me. And then there's this judgment based on, on, on what you've done, on the works people have done. So nestled between these two parables, there's this parable of the talents. We're not going to read it. But it's an interesting concept where the landowner, God, is the landowner in the parable. He comes and he says, I'm going away a while. And he says to his servants, I'm going to give you different talents. Now, talents was actually in the original story, talents of gold. He gave them possessions. He gave them material things that they could work with. And to one he gave ten, to one he gave five, and to one he gave one. Each according to their ability is the point. The guy could do ten and he got ten. So God never gives us more than we are capable of. Okay? So if God's given you a dream, a plan, or a purpose, it's for you. He knows what you're capable of. He knows what you can do. Interesting thing in the story is the landowner goes away and the, the stewards are left to look after the, what God has entrusted them with. The guy with ten makes ten more. He takes risks. He steps out and he, he's careful and responsible with what God has, the landowner has given him. The guy with five does the same. The guy with one, he's too careful and he's not all that responsible. And he goes and buries it and hides it away. And then he lives his life a little life, a small life. He lives this life securing his own existence. Because you see, he's scared of the master. He actually says, I know you could be a difficult man and you expect return on investment, but I just wanted to be careful. And I lived making sure I didn't lose what you gave me instead of making sure that I multiplied or sowed what you gave me. The point of the parable is that God has given us, entrusted us with stuff. And when he comes back, he's going to want to know what we've done. Have we been good stewards with what he's entrusted us with? The one scripture I do want us to read together is found in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. So if you want to open a Bible or a device, you're welcome. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. It will come up on the screen as well. Isn't that a nice picture that God trusts us with things that are maybe small little plants, little plant in the picture that can grow that we're responsible for. 1 Peter 4, verse 10. Peter writes and he says, Each of you, every believer, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, because that's what stewards do. They serve others. Why? As God's faithful steward, sorry, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. God has bestowed grace in each of our lives. You have an element of grace in your life. There's something that God has put in you for others. And that grace might be a prophetic gift. That grace might be a teaching gift. That grace might be you just love helping people. That grace might be you understand how to make things work and organize things. It can be very spiritual. It can be very practical. But there's a grace of God on your life which he wants you to use 
as Peter very clearly says here, to serve others. And so the challenge, I guess, before us tonight is that we need to just remember afresh that everything belongs to God. Not just your time and money and talents, your whole life. Your relationships belong to God. If you're married, your marriage belongs to God and you're a steward of that relationship. If you have children, sometimes it's really great. You say, you can belong to God today. <laughs> but your, your children are yours because, I mean, they're, they're your genetics, okay? They're yours, but there's the sense where they're also not yours, where my role as I raise my daughter is to be a steward of what God has entrusted me with. Now, sometimes as a parent, that's a terrifying thought, okay? That you, you will say to God, what have you done with this life that you were entrusted with, okay? But there's this grace that comes, and by the way, there's a grace that comes to be a parent as well. It's, it's wonderful, Okay? There's a, everything I have, my relationships belong to God. But in ourselves and in our lives, we have this thing where we just want something for ourselves. What can I hold on to? And remind you tonight that Jesus said this. If he said, if you lose your life, you will find it. I think God wants us to remind us tonight to, to say this. That your life is his. Give it back to him. And if you've given it to him before... Keep giving it or give it more and give it in a deeper way. And if there's spaces in your life where you're going, I just, this just makes me feel good. And it doesn't have to be something particularly sinful. It can just be something that you're trying to hold on for yourself. I think the posture God wants us to have is that we live with open hands. I saw this picture as, as we were praying. Is that sometimes we hold our hands like this to God. And this is not about a right way and a wrong way. It's just a sermon illustration, okay? Sometimes we hold our hands like this to God. Where it's, if, the, if you think of water pouring in, I'm filling it and I'm catching it and it's running down my arm into my heart. And sometimes we need it. We need to be edified and grown. But I think tonight the Lord is saying the posture is this. Lord, I'm giving it back. I'm opening to you in, that, in, the, in this space now. Why does God want you to give your life back to him? Well, it's, it was his first, Okay. But so there's this process of giving it back, perhaps like Joseph. And hopefully you don't have to go through all the steps that Joseph went through to come to this place where you realize it's about God and not about you. Because that's really part of the story of Joseph, that it's about God and not about him. But why? Because God is thinking beyond you. God's writing the story not only of your life, but the story of South Africa at this time, the story of the nations, the story of your family. God's writing that story. And when he calls us to give things back to him, it's because he's got others in mind. Use your gift to serve others. And so I don't expect everyone to run to the front and come and lie on the floor. But as over the next couple of weeks we engage on this topic, let's take it deep into our hearts and let's examine as we address each area that we feel the Lord has led us to address as a leadership team. Let's just say it and say, well, Lord, what about this? Is there a part in my life here I need to give back to you? Because you've got a bigger picture. You're telling a bigger story. And then through your life, God can do what you cannot imagine. First time I heard this story on stewardship was, sorry, I'm trying to do maths quickly, um, more than 
35 years ago, I think. Okay? It was long ago. Let's go 30. Okay? More than 30 years ago. But I would never have imagined what I would have done, seen, and experienced in those 30 years. Because God's story for us is bigger than what we can imagine. Even when it's hard, Joseph was in prison. He was a slave. Even there, we can be faithful in the tough times. Because tough times are part of life. Disappointments are part of life. But if we can be careful and responsible with what God has trusted us with, then we can be good stewards. And God's story can roll through our lives and we can accomplish what we want to do. May I invite you to stand? I'd like to pray. Father, as we start our engagement in this series with this uh, idea of stewardship, concept of stewardship. And we know, Lord, uh, well, in the New Testament, it speaks a lot about us as believers being stewards of the gospel, of this good news that you've come to fix the world and to save mankind. But as we stand here tonight, Lord, at the start of this journey, we want to acknowledge as a people that everything is yours. And Lord, for various of us in this room, that's going to be more true or less true, depending on the journey that we've been on in our lives. But we know, Lord, that you've got a story. You've got a bigger plan for each of our lives that our lives form part of. And Lord, my prayer for each one is that even in the next couple of weeks, you just give us a glimpse of that. So that when we steward and when we hold our lives before you, that we hold things that we're responsible for that aren't actually our own. We can know that God is working and God is planning and there's this bigger story that you're busy with. And thank you, Lord, actually, that it's not just about us, that it's about others. But help us to be good stewards at this time. So, Lord, that's my prayer for each one, that there's a particular grace over the next couple of weeks just to take a step deeper into you, step deeper into your purposes, a, a greater surrender, an opening of our hands and a surrendering of our postures where we just abandon our lives and ourselves and our dreams and our callings and our ambitions. We abandon them on you because they belong to you in the first place. And then would you come, Father, and work in us and through us to accomplish your purposes in our lives and through our lives. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here tonight. Be blessed as you go into this week and may God go with you in every space and place you, your foot treads. Amen.